You may not like what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway because I'm not afraid to speak out. I think that the music in hell for eternally be some of this rock music with all its vulgarities. And to another episode of Lost in the Catacombs. I am your host, Josh, back with you again for another installment of your favorite extreme music podcast. We are back again with episode number 12. As always, want to thank everyone for tuning in yet again and all of the positive comments and shares on social media for last week's episode featuring Frozen Soul and Lunar Chamber. The positive remarks are always humbling to me, and I really appreciate everything from everyone. So, yeah, it just shows that what I'm doing here in my house here in little old Indiana is getting somewhere and making even just a little bit of noise, and people are listening, and that means the world to me. So thanks again for all of your support. We do have an amazing interview today, one of the more personal and probably the most personal interview I've had with someone yet, and I'd argue that it's one of the best interviews that I've done so far, so really hope you enjoy that. We will introduce the guest momentarily, but I do want to get through a few housekeeping items before that. As always, I want to remind everyone to follow me on my socials on Twitter at Catacombs Media, on Instagram, at Lost Catacombs Media. You can find me on Facebook by simply doing a Facebook search for Lost in the Catacombs. And if you have any questions or just want to reach out, feel free to do so at Lost in the Catacombs podcast at gmail.com. And if you don't mind, feel free to leave a five-star review and a written comment wherever you listen to podcasts. That helps me out tremendously. And also feel free to follow and subscribe to the show wherever you listen so you get the episodes right when they drop. Okay, now that we've got that out of the way, let's dive into a little bit of metal news this week. Perhaps not underground or extreme metal, but the sad news that Ozzy Osbourne has dropped off the power trip festival out in California Um, I guess I can't say that I am surprised to hear this news but nonetheless it's always a bummer to hear that kind of stuff especially when it's someone that you someone that was so pivotal in your fandom of heavy music to this day Black Sabbath is still one of my all-time favorite bands and one of the most important bands that you know got me into the heavier side of things master of reality is probably in my top 10 albums of all time along with probably sabbath bloody sabbath too i mean if i'm being honest so yeah man it's always a bummer to hear that kind of stuff but you know at least ozzy was honest and just said you know he just wasn't ready and all my best wishes go out to him and his family during this time. I know it's been a tough year or a couple years for Ozzy. So, yeah, get well soon, Ozzy, and hopefully we can see you back on stage whenever you're ready. 
And as a reminder, if it's time to hang it up, you gave us a lot of great years and a lot of great memories. So salute to our brother in arms, Ozzy Osbourne. However, I think they did get a great substitute for this festival. In particular, Judas Priest will be stepping in. So for everyone heading out to the Power Trip Festival out there in California, I'm sure that will be a great show. The guys in Judas Priest always put on phenomenal performances, so hope everyone enjoys that. Switching over a little bit, I guess this is a preview of my album or recommendation of the week, but just want to hit on the new Black Braid album, Black Braid 2, which came out last Friday. I'd be remiss if I did not talk about this here at the top of the episode, but what a phenomenal record. I saw some funny or conspiracy theory comments on Twitter saying that Black Braid is an industry plant. I guess he was in the New York Times and there was an article featured on him and he's just getting a lot of publicity right now, rightfully so. Uh, The music is incredible. Uh, It's great for the heavy music scene. And uh, people are saying that he was an industry plant, which is hilarious because I guess it's weird to have an industry plant in a genre such as black metal, a genre that, as everyone knows, is the most popular form of music in the world. So, yeah, it's just funny to me. But anyway, yeah, man, phenomenal record by Black Braid. Black Braid 2 is incredible. The highlight for me, Twilight Hymn of Ancient Blood. I have been going over that song in my head time and time again. I listened to it on a flight back home from Virginia and hearing that entire record for the first time in complete darkness and kind of just flying over mountains, I guess even though I couldn't see them, but I used my imagination. Such a phenomenal and great record and what an experience listening to that for the first time. Twilight Hymn of Ancient Blood, the highlight of the record for me, but man, overall, what a record. I know I gave my top 10 records of the year so far a couple weeks ago, and I wish that record had been out at that time because it would have made it. I'm going to give it a few more listens before I properly rank it in my rankings for the year so far, but I can tell you this, I think it's going to be up there. So yeah, congratulations to Black Braid on major success right now, and it's very well deserved. But without further ado, let's go ahead and introduce today's guest from the Chicago, Illinois-based thrash band Bloodletter. Pete joins the show to talk about their upcoming record out July 21st. It's called A Different Kind of Hell. To give you a quick synopsis, let's go ahead and read off the Wise Blood Records description of the album, and it is as follows. Bloodletter has sharpened their riffs across a decade of blazing EPs and two full-length records. A Different Kind of Hell is a scorching thrashster piece with the band's most lethal songs yet. Black and Speed, epic harmonized leads. Bloodletter forges distinctly melodic thrash metal with solos hotter than a burning church. While the band's songwriting skills ascend, their lyrics plunge into a nether realm of nightmares, 
On past records, Bloodletter confronted personal terrors, but in a different kind of hell, they slashed their way past supernatural horrors with razor-edged riffage. Again, a super fast, heavy record. If you're into thrash metal, this record is absolutely for you. I've had the privilege of listening to it already in full, and I can tell you this, highly recommended. But before we jump into today's interview, let's take a listen to a clip from the album A Different Kind of Hell. This song is called The Last Tomb. Thanks so much for doing this, man. We're just a few weeks away from the release of your new record, A Different Kind of Hell. Obviously, this is a question that a lot of bands get leading up to the record, but what's the anticipation like? And you know, how are you feeling right now about the release coming up? Oh, man. Uh, it's a lot of different feelings. Um, you know, you'd think with it being your third record, you're, you know, you're kind of used to it. You know, it's old hat. Like you work on it for however long you write it, you record it, you finish it, you try to release it. And it's still like, it's still that mix of excitement, nervousness, you know, a little anxious, you know, a little, uh, you know, just unsure of, you know, you know, how it'll go. What's the response going to be like, you know, it's kind of a, it's a weird mix, but overall it's, it's still, it's fun, you know, like to finally get a record out, you know, you've been working on for like two years, you know, pretty much nonstop is pretty, pretty damn good feeling. So we're all excited. We're all looking forward to it. Yeah. So you've had a few records out already. Um, you've had some EPs. Does it, mm-hmm. do you still get the same feelings when you're getting ready to release new material or does that ever get kind of, you know, monotonous or do you ever get tired of it at all? I wouldn't say tired of it. I mean, you know, we've been a band for 10 years now, or we will have been officially 10 years this November, you know, and it's, it's like, you can, you can work on three songs and put it out quick demo, quick EP, you know, you can put out, you know, a slightly longer one, you know, five, six, seven songs, whatever. And then you put out an LP. I don't think the feeling between, EP or demo or record or split or anything is any different. You know, it's like you, you work on new music and you're like, Oh yeah, I want to, I want to put this out. Like I want people to hear it. Like, you know, you get really excited about sharing new ideas, new music, you know, you want, you want to share what you're working on with people and hopefully they want to hear it or they at least want to give it, you know, you know, a shot. Um, But no, definitely not tired of it. I'd say it's like, sometimes it's, it's harder because, you know, 
inspiration comes and goes, you know, it, it, it can come in little bits. It can come in waves. You, you know, you just kind of gotta, you gotta roll with it, you know, and everybody, everybody in every band, you know, is going to contribute differently and feel differently and think differently. And you kind of gotta, you gotta catch that inspiration when you can and, you know, make the most of it. And, you know, it seems like we've been on kind of a, a good role creatively the last, you know, three, four years in spite of the pandemic and various, you know, issues, you know, that everybody faced, you know, depression, you know, being cooped up because of the pandemic, stress from work or maybe losing a job or getting a new job or changing careers or, you know, familial stuff or, you know, friendships change, you know, like a lot of stuff happened in the last couple of years, but we were, we were able to kind of capture that and capitalize on how we were feeling and no matter how bleak or dark it got, you know, we were still able to put, put our efforts into some music. And I think that that is felt way more than either being tired or bored of it or getting, you know, rather blase about it, I guess. I guess jaded to everything. I guess that's the word I should have used, but yeah. yeah do you ever get jaded yeah. by it? But it doesn't sound like, I guess I wouldn't get jaded by putting out new material. Right. And you know, you hear bands, especially with this being your third record, right. It's the third full length. It's mm. do band, like a lot of bands say, or they, you know, emphasize the importance of the third record and how that kind of solidifies the sound that they want their band sound like or what they want their band to be is that something that you found to be true with this new record or business as usual i'd say 50 50 you know like we're not jaded about putting out music or writing music we like you know making the scene definitely has changed and like you know i can't speak for a lot of other cities you know in the country but like chicago specifically is very competitive but there's not a lot of thrash here. Like I would love to be proven wrong. Like if other people are like, yeah, this band, that band, whatever, but it's like, who's out on the road, you know, who's signed to a label, no matter how small, like who's putting out records consistently, like those things kind of, you know, we look around and we're like, are, are we like one of the few thrash bands left in Chicago that are like really like swinging for the fences and stuff and not doing the same thing, even though like, you know, we've had a sound from day one it that sound has changed a little bit but like you know 10 years ago our drummer and i originally were like oh let's be a power trio and like do kind of like a toxic holocaust thing but intentionally go for shock value and piss off religious groups and like that kind of thing and then really quickly people were like wait a minute you guys are actually onto something like you shouldn't just make this a joke and we're like okay and then pretty quickly after that, we started to experiment very heavily with being a thrash band that masqueraded as a Swedish mellow death band. You know, like we loved that harmonized guitar sound. I mean, we're all thin Lizzy, Iron Maiden junkies, but we all love like, you know, like you put Amon Amarthon in the van when we're driving around or like we put, you know, Insomnium is a big one for me. Um, you know, we love just like classically melodic music, you know, from our genre. And we found that to be the vehicle for our sound very early, but the nature in which the songs come together has kind of grown. It's, it's more grandiose. The songs have gotten a little longer for us. I mean, granted, 
we don't have a song over four minutes, I think, on this record, which like, but consistently, like, we have more songs over three minutes where like everything used to be two and a half, you know, like, it wasn't like a concerted effort that like we needed to be the fastest band in the West or anything like that, you know, like, but now we're, you know, we're, we're stretching our legs a little bit more. Like, you know, we've grown as songwriters, we've grown as players, you know, we've grown in our own way. And I think I wouldn't say the third record thing's kind of like a thing for us, but at the same time, it's like our first full length, was barely a full length. It was like 28 minutes. And then we took what we were doing there and put it into like a, a more adventurous arrangement, so to speak. And that, and then the next record funeral hymns was, was also, you know, a super personal record, um, which wasn't anything that I'd originally intended to have, but you know, it was a very personal record for me specifically um, but I think it showed what the band could really do. And then this record now, a different kind of hell, I think is the, is like an exact reflection of like the first two, what we've wanted to do and just do it more, greater, bigger, faster, stronger, heavier, whatever. Um, so yeah, yes and no. Does that answer your question? Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Yeah. Before we go any further, I do kind of want to touch on the origins of the band. You kind of mentioned about a decade ago, you and the drummer came together mm -hmm. and you were like, let's form this power trio. And then obviously things kind of progressed and led to what the blood mm -hmm. letter that we, we all know today. What were those yeah. early days like? And, you know, was it difficult or was it just something you were using as an outlet for fun? Or did you anticipate to turn this into something that, you know, you would put out numerous length records and EPs? Um, you know, because like, our drummer and I originally, we were, we were um, going to be in a different band. My previous band before Bloodletter, which was kind of like if Propagandi and Iron Maiden had a love child, like we were like, you know, just super fast punk band. But I, I was originally a drummer. I moved to do bass and do vocals. And then we needed a drummer and her Zach that band kind of fell apart. Um, and then we wanted to do something together. So Bloodletter was kind of like a, well, we met, we wanted to work on music. Let's do something. Um, and then neither of us, I don't think Zach nor I prop, you know, expected that we'd be friends, you know, 12, almost 12 years later, you know, like best buds still in a band working on music you know, as we're very different people, but we both wanted to, you know, put some music out. And, you know, the early days were just, we were hanging out in my mom's basement. I cranked up an amp and he sat down on my drum kit and we just wrote some stuff. I had some song ideas for Bloodletter. I had been writing and playing all the parts. And I was like, hey, like, what do you think of this shit? And he's like, oh, this would be fucking fun as hell. Like, let's do it, but let's do this, this, and this. So then we go to the studio that I used to work at, cut our first demo. Um, and then, you know, about nine months later, uh, our original lead guitar player, uh, Jason Milbank, he joined the band um, after I'd recorded the principal parts for what became the original EP, A Different Kind of Hell. And then real quickly, we're like, we're onto something. Like after a number of people had told us, you guys should actually do this like proper. Like we're like, okay. So we started writing more tunes. 
um, you know, it was primarily just like four friends being total dorks playing a shitload of, you know, Diablo dungeons and dragons, getting our inspiration from that kind of shit. And then writing these thrash tunes. Um, and then we started, you know, ramping things up and like, like we booked our first show. The response was really great. Um, we were getting ready to play like our next handful of shows and, you know, nothing could stop us. We were on cloud nine, you know, we had just started a new band. Like we were having fun with it. Um, I got sick. I actually had a, a brain tumor yanked nine years ago, uh, literally like right after the band like fully started. And then as soon as I started being able to play guitar and drums again, um, I was like, Hey guys, I've got some song ideas, but I can't record them because I can't look at a computer screen. You guys have to do this, but I'm going to produce it and like, listen and play what I can. Uh, and then it took a even more serious tone from there. And that was, you know, what the result of that was malignancy, our first proper release. Um, and then, yeah, it just kind of snowballed from there. Like, we started playing a lot of shows in Chicago. We started playing a couple out of state. Um, yeah, it just kind of took off from there. You know, wasn't, I don't know if we ever thought like it would be like something we'd be doing for 10 years, but you know, here yeah. we are almost 10 so years later. You were diagnosed with your brain tumor right when the band was kind of getting together. Yeah. After our first show, we were getting ready to play a second show. And, um, yeah, we were just hanging out at our drummer's place. I think we were chucking a Frisbee around or whatever because we were just loading loading our gear into the van. And, you know, my bandmates were just like, something's not right. Like, Pete looks like he's having a fucking stroke. And I uh, took me to the hospital. And, yeah, they're like, nah, his heart's fine. So then we went to – our drummer lives down south of Joliet, Illinois. So we went to Joliet St. Joe's Hospital, I think was the one. And then they're, you know – sitting in the fucking ER, you know, waiting hours. I finally get in, they do a CT scan. They're like, we don't know what that is, but it's a big honking thing in your brain. I'm like, cool. Great. Shit. Yeah. And then a week and a half later, I was back up in the city, got that, got that thing yanked. And you know, we're here all these years later. So that is crazy. Kind of changed the, yeah. Changed the tone and the direction of the band's music. I think pretty quickly from like what I had originally anticipated we would do to where we are now for sure. So like, what were your symptoms that they were like, yeah, something's not right. Uh, they looked, they, they all said I looked like I was having a stroke. So like I couldn't move this part of my face. Uh, didn't know what was going on in front of me, lost all motor coordination. It was kind of like just super dizzy and like, ugh, like zoned the fuck out. You had no like other symptoms, symptoms leading up to that? Like, it was just out of nowhere. Nope. That is out of fucking insane, nowhere, dude. man. Yep. That's why I tell everybody, you got health insurance, go see your doctor. <laughs> yeah. So what was the recovery like for that? You said you could start playing again. How long did that take? Um, I mean, my neurologist and my neurosurgeon were just like, start playing. As soon as you feel like you can do it, start playing your instruments because that is the best therapy for the type of surgery that I had, you know, at my age where it was, the type of tumor it was, was all like 
one in millions of of chances. So it was like, all right, cool. I lived. So what do I do next? And they're like, literally, they're like, you said you play music, pick up your instruments, try and play them because I had to relearn how to use the left side of my body, basically. So I sat down and played my drums, uh, which is my first instrument. I've, I've always been a drummer first and a subpar guitarist second, but uh, and then I started playing guitar more and more and more and more and more. Um, and then eventually I got my left hand back. My left foot took a little longer. Um, so it was about three months. Yeah. I think about three months from surgery. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a really weird experience. Cause like, you know, you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about what's important, like all that, you know, all that kind of cliche shit, but then, you know, you you go through some changes like i was you know people were like we're amazed your your temperament hasn't changed because like where your tumor was like you know you could have just been a fucking asshole the entire time like you could have been you should have you could have come out a huge asshole like but but you didn't and i'm like i'm like yeah i'm glad i didn't but then you know on my own you know like i was just i was a fucking angry pissed off loathsome piece of shit for Before? three months i was grateful oh, to be okay yeah I, I was i was and i don't think it was by like from the surgery i was just like everyone else had their lives going on around them and i had to sit in my fucking apartment and stew and just brood over all of the shit i couldn't do all the things i needed or wanted to do and I didn't know how to talk to anybody about it. So I just got so fucking angry. Um, you know, and, you know, all these years later, you know, nine years later, I'm like, okay, you know, you, you, you learn to deal with your mental health issues and your struggles and all that stuff, which I still do all the time. I'm never trying to come off as like a resilient fucking happy-go-lucky tough guy or anything like that or any of the oxymoronic things I just said. But, you know, you just got to you learn to like take all of that and look inward and look back at like what you went through and hopefully you learn from that. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a weird time, man. It was a weird three months <laughs> to put it lightly. Last question on this topic. A lot I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm yeah, sure, sure you don't want to discuss it too much, but what got you through that? Um, my friends, my bandmates, Honestly, like, you know, I was in a relationship at the time, um, no disrespect to her or, you know, anything like that, you know, like she was really cool and like supportive and understanding and like really helped. But, you know, my parents were there, you know, my family was there, but honestly, if it weren't for my bandmates, if it weren't for Jason, who's still, you know, very much a part of my life. He's one of my best friends. He's not in the band anymore, but if it weren't for Jason, if it weren't for Tanner, if it weren't for Zach, if it weren't for my buddy, Adam, who ended up actually replacing Tanner or filling in for Tanner when Tanner took his leave of absence for about a year and a half from the band, you know, if it weren't for my buddy, Ryan, who's like our cinematographer, photographer, like consigliere for the band, you know, like, 
my buddies, Dan, Dave, like so many people, like if it weren't for my friends, just constantly checking in, I probably would have killed myself at some point. Like, I mean, like not to sound dramatic, but like as someone who's dealt with manic depressive, you know, suicidal shit like that, those three months were super hard because, you know, I couldn't live, you know, like I was trying and like, that yeah, was weird, but you know, if it weren't for my friends, I wouldn't be here. Like point blank period end of story. So like I, I owe my life to them. Like every day that I get up and I'm able to play an instrument, ride my bike, which is like my other favorite, greatest passion ever. You know, every day I get up, I can hug my wife, annoy my cat, chase her around the apartment, you know, play a show, go to work, you know, like I owe all that shit to them. So it's a, it's a different uh, kind of dedication and meaning, you know, now. So yeah, if it weren't for them, I wouldn't be here for sure. Yeah. I'm glad you're here too, man. That's a tough Cheer, road buddy. to go Appreciate down. That. It, it's a tough road to go down and, you know, it takes a lot of resilience and a lot of willpower to do that, man. All the respect in the world. That's, I couldn't imagine. But like I mean, you said, it's all be... about pushing through. Yeah. I mean, you'd be surprised though. Like so many people over the years have been like, Oh my God, I, I, I couldn't have done that. And I'm like, you absolutely could. Here's the thing. Like I tell everybody, like, you know, I've met people at shows who are like, oh man, I could never play like what you guys are doing. Or like, I couldn't ever do, you know, this like traveling thing where you guys just, you know, try to travel the country and play music. I'm like, you absolutely can. You like, you know, people are like, oh, I could never deal with this situation. Like what you went through. I was like, you absolutely can. You think I was fucking ready for that shit? No way. Like, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know I was like growing a tumor in my head for however long. And then it just happened. And then I was like, oh, cool. I got to deal with it. And people are like, you did, you did so well. Yeah. yeah it's like life in general. It. Like life in general. Are we ever ready for anything? Honestly? Like, no. that's the thing. Are we no. ever ready for anything? Like, people are always saying, <laughs> like, not. I don't know. And this sounds funny because I have a. Mm -hmm a 100 pound dog and we got him during mm -hmm. covid and everybody's like hey it's a big responsibility and i'm like okay i, I understand that but like man those mm -hmm. first few months of like raising a puppy and like obviously uh, he's not a human child and i know i understand that's probably sure. a lot more difficult but um i don't think you're ever really ready for yeah. something totally new and something totally challenging but that's no what that's what helps you grow as a human being right I think, and obviously yeah, your case was a lot more serious than the one I just described, but you know, we've all had ups and downs and peaks and valleys that we've had to triumph over, but yeah, man, I don't know if we're ever ready for anything challenging. No way. No way. And it's just, it's not, if you're ready, it's you're dealing with it and how you deal with it is going to dictate what you take away from it, what you learn and how you grow as a person, you know, all that is just... It's an amazing thing. I've like, I've, I've run into so many people in, you know, who are in other bands who have been dealt, you know, a rough hand or have had shit happen to them, you know, and I always just try to remember like, yeah, it can be a lot worse, but if someone wants to talk to you about it, you, you absolutely should try your level best to give them an open ear because even that can save their life, you know? So that's like, that's kind of how I try to take it. Yeah, man, that's inspirational as hell that, you know, 
you just tell people you're never ready for anything and how you react is the most important thing. Right. So yeah. Yeah. How you that's, react that's is the way it's gotta be. How you react is, is key. But anyway, we can go yeah. to a more, a lighthearted topic now. I appreciate you telling that story, man. <laughs> yeah, no uh, problem, man. Really appreciate that. But so Chicago, right? You grew up in Chicago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was that like? I guess Loved more so it. in the As in the te- in the terms of like the scene and everything, but also what was the your childhood oh, yeah. like growing up in Chicago? Chicago, I don't know. As far as I'm concerned, is the greatest metropolitan city in America. It's definitely not the greatest city in the world. It's a fucked up city politically. It's a fucking mire. It's a grimpen mire of just people fucking over everybody and, you know, pay to play politics and all that stuff. But, you know, got a lot of character. A lot of people like to say, um, Oh, Chicago's cool. It's a, it, you know, when I was growing up, it was a working class city. You know, I'm from the South side of the city. Um, my grandparents lived in, uh, pretty much the Beverly Evergreen park area, which is like, pretty far south but still in the city like actually in the city and a lot of people don't realize just how big chicago is like seriously like physically you know you could drive a straight line down western avenue and it's 25 miles and you're still in the fucking city like in a straight fucking line the whole way and you won't have left you know it's it's nuts um but i you know i grew up here um you know my bandmates have all you know they're all from like the the neighboring nearby suburbs of the city Um, and Chicago, I don't know. It just offers a lot of, there's an amazing mix culturally, socially, ethnically here. A lot of people still say it's a, it's a heavily segregated city. And I agree with that statement to, you know, most of the extent for lack of a better term. You know, like, I feel like the South and West sides are still heavily neglected by politicians and like money and resources are never properly utilized in those areas to like keep schools open, provide better access to food for families, you know, like help make housing more affordable. Um, But in spite of all that, there's still a lot in this city that's, you know, culturally really relevant. You know, it's like a transportation hub. It's you know, kind of the center of the country, if you think about it, you know, it's not obviously geographically, but like historically transportation, you know, like it's, it's a huge fucking city and there's a lot of cool shit that's happened here. Uh, A lot of weird shit that's happened here. A lot of stuff maybe not be so proud of, you know, like we're talking about mafia related stuff. (laughs) Yeah. People in the outfit were like, oh yeah, Al Capone. So cool. I'm like, do you really think he's cool? (laughs) <laughs> or the idea of him is cool. They just see it in the movies, right? Exactly, yeah. Um, no, but well, there's I mean, also I that whole theory that, kid. yeah, there's that whole theory that like Al Capone and I don't know if it was Al Capone, but like the Chicago Mafia had like helped JFK mm-hmm. get elected. Have you heard that? You know, I wouldn't be surprised if that was true. I mean, like, honestly, like it, we're a super democratic city, like, in spite of like there are pockets that are super conservative, like you can't ever fucking shake the Chicago machine and it's democratic leanings, you know? And like, if they, if they got JFK elected, I'd, I'd fucking believe it. Like, I, you know, I'd, it's, it's just so wild, but I think like Chicago musically has had such a huge impact, you know, like the Chicago blues sound, 
you know, like the doom and hardcore scenes here have been nuts. Uh, hardcore punk, like old school, proper punk music, like to me, like there's a great documentary, uh, You Weren't There, which chronicles like the entirety of the Chicago hardcore scene. And like, that's the shit for me. That's like, fuck yeah. Like this is the sound of what I thought hardcore should be, which was like way more on the fast punk rock side of stuff. Um, you know, obviously we've got like Broadway in Chicago. We have the CSO, we have all the music here. It's, you know, it's been up and down for metal. Like growing up when I was a teenager, like I went to a bunch of punk shows. I played the punk band when I was a kid and the Metro, when my, you know, my mom was up on the North side and she was a, a Chicago public school teacher, you know, where we lived when she, you know, when we moved, we were blocks from the Metro. So I could walk on like a Tuesday night and get into an all ages show and just see a punk or a hardcore or a metal band that I had never heard of and check it out, which was cool. Fast forward 10 years later to when I'm starting blood letter and it's like thrash metal. What's that? Like there weren't thrash metal bands coming out of Chicago. There were bands that like did thrashy stuff, you know, like I could name a handful of bands now that I don't know if they're still fully active or anything, but like that had thrash in their music, but like weren't full on thrash metal bands. And there's a couple, you know, that are still like sort of active, you know, um, but like the metal scene is very, it's, it's very strange. It's very nebulous. It's very uh, competitive, like bands from the suburbs, you know, like, um, like a great example, a band that I'm a big fan of and I like really respect Mulder. They're a death metal band. They're big here in town because yeah, awesome band. They're big in town because it's death metal, death metal in Chicago. Good. Big scene. Lots of death metal bands, grind, hardcore, all of it. Sludge, doom. Yes. Straight up thrash metal though. Like, I don't know. I like, maybe I'm missing it, but like, I don't know if there's like a thriving proper thrash scene out of like, maybe there's like house shows or DIY venues that like, I'm just not privy to, or I'm too old and too much of a fucking grandpa to hear about anymore these days. But like, you know, this is probably going to piss somebody off when they listen to it. But like, I don't think Bloodletter has felt proper like properly involved in a chicago thrash metal scene in the last like four or five years we it's weird because the response we get out of state is like way better way more involved way more active it's insane like i would if someone had told me like you guys are a chicago band but like when you play up in milwaukee people go fucking ape shit like when you go to Indianapolis, the people, as soon as you're done playing, there's going to be 25 people waiting to buy your vinyl at your, at your merch table. You know, like, you know, we played a show like perfect example. We played a show at this place called the Highland taps in Louisville back in 2019 when we were doing like, you know, we had booked like four, four and like three to five day trips throughout the month. So that way, like, we could still work our jobs and like be home and be with our families and stuff. But basically we were on the road for like 21, 22 of the 30 days in August that year played a shitload of shows. 
We played Metal Monday at the Highland Tap in Louisville. It was two bands. We went second. Um, PA was kick drum and vocal. The stage was basically a little corner riser that we could get amps and the drums on. The three of us up front were on the floor. I couldn't even put my foot switch on the floor for my amp because it was so packed. But that place, I think, had like a legal occupancy of like 60 people. And there might have been 110 in there for a metal Monday. For whom we might have only maybe like three or four people had heard of us before. And after three songs, we had people standing on the bar. We had people running around. We had people throwing beer around the place. And we sold out of like half our fucking merch that night. And that was like the last night of like one of the big runs of that month. And then the second we came back to Louisville years later, everyone was like, yeah, I remember that fucking show. You guys were fucking sick. Like, you know, it was a, it was just kind of like a weird eye-opening experience. And then like, you know, we play out in Indianapolis at like Black Circle. It's where our label uh, is headquartered. And like the response there is nuts. Like we went down and played Full Terror Assault back in 2021 to a bunch of people we'd never played before. And it was like, we connected with so many people who had never seen us who weren't from Chicago. And they're like, you guys are from Chicago? I forgot that. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird. I would love to see like, a proper scene for thrash metal here in the fucking city. Like where it's like, you know, more than like 10 bands. I want to see like 12, 20 proper thrash metal bands, you know, come together and like, let's book a fucking show. Like, let's do this. Let's do that. Like, let's make, make, make a run at it. You know, like let's make Chicago like a thrash haven again, you know, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe I missed the original run at it. Maybe I'm too old to know what the new shit is. Like, I don't know. Am I a grandpa? Am I a millennial? Am I a fucking dumbass who doesn't pay attention to the right things? I don't know. But Well, here's the thing, man. Uh, Just got to move the band to Scotland because Hell Ripper is leading the way right now for speed th- or black and thrash or black and speed metal. So there you go, man. Maybe you have I a- mean, Scotland's cool. <laughs> it's it's a beautiful country it's the backdrop kind of to my ambient project that i do but we can talk about that another day um but it's so it's so wild though because like you look at like thrash metal today and like the biggest shit is is the blackened speed sound like and it's awesome it's dominating thrash these days but like where's where are the bands that, you know, sound like Metallica, Slayer, Megadeth, Anthrax? Like, nobody's trying to sound like that anymore. And, yeah, I understand, like, maybe it's because they've been around forever and people don't want to hear that kind of stuff. But, like, you know, like, technically involved thrash or, like, thrash that's more on the melodic side of stuff. Like, I wouldn't call us, like, a blackened thrash band at all. We love black metal and we love all that, like, more theatrical black and sound stuff we love it but like i wouldn't say it's a defining characteristic of the sound of the band but like the bands that are doing it and doing it really well hell ripper wraith props to those dudes they fucking rule and they're awesome at what they do they put out great records they play awesome shows but like is that the 
the sound of thrash these days. Yes. Will that change? Who knows? Yeah. But when it does, good Blood point. Letter will be ready. Yes. We'll be ready. <laughs> you want, all right, man. Here's the when I listened to Blood Letter for the first time, I'll tell you the thrash band that first came to mind. And perhaps mm-hmm. it was like the vocal cadences and everything, Death Angel. Man, we get that all the time. Yeah. That's a great right comparison now, though. None of us listen to them. Wow. Like, I don't think I ever listened to them until someone said maybe five, six years ago, you guys remind me of them. I'm like, who? <laughs> I had no idea who they were. I, I legitimately had no fucking idea who they were other than maybe I, like, saw their band name. Dude, one of the most underrated thrash bands of all time. 100%. Dude, and, that, and that's what people tell me all the time. And, like, I've listened to their newest record. What is it? Humanicide, I think was the name of it. Mm-hmm. Or is that a song on it? I literally couldn't name more than one song of theirs. No idea. And it's not because like I didn't like them. I just never listened to them nor heard of them much. Yeah, they're one of my favorite thrash bands, man, for sure. That I'll have to I'll have to give them another like a proper listening because like I never listened to them. Like for me as a as a teenager, it was always like creator. Yeah, we will listen to Creator. We will listen to Exodus. (laughs) And then when I was twenty, not even twenty-one yet, uh, props to uh, the boys in Skeleton Witch uh, for getting me into the Empty Bottle. Then you hear in the city in two thousand seven when they were touring on Beyond the Permafrost. I wasn't twenty-one yet. I was literally twenty, and I was just hanging outside of the venue, hoping I could get in. And uh, Scott handed me a guitar case and I walked in and then I was there and skeleton, Witch. it was literally like Exodus creator skeleton, Witch, black Dolly murder. Those were the fundamental sounds for me when I wanted to make the band that blood letter is now. Um, but like, yeah, I never listened to death angel when it was like, when it came to thrash for me as a kid, it was Exodus creator, uh, creator, Exodus, Exodus, creator, creator, Exodus. Metallica was fine. Like the first three records are great. Everything else I just get fucking bored with. Um, Slayer, duh, they're the best <laughs> for sure. I fucking love Slayer. Yeah, you got to throw Slayer um, in there, man. That's who I saw Death Angel open up for a few years ago. That okay? Now that sounds like that would have been a kick-ass show, though. It was. I think it was Death Angel, Lamb of God, Slayer. I want to say maybe it was Death Angel, Anthrax, Death Angel, Anthrax, Lamb of God, Slayer. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I could be. I wrong. mean, either way, it sounds fucking rad. Yeah, I could be wrong on that, but I, I know I've seen Slayer so many times. I forget who opens up, but um, yeah, or no, it was maybe it was Power Trip, Death Angel, oh. Slayer. I think that might have been what it was because my Power Trip shirt got stolen. Oh fuck! Yeah, it was. I had a Power Trip long sleeve and. Like I had a, I don't remember why I had a VIP riser seat, but I'm like, screw this, dude. I'm going down, and I'm going down to the state. Like I'm not staying up here and sitting down. And I left my shirt up there on my seat, and I didn't think anybody would take it. And yeah, I came back and it was gone. But anyway, fuck. Yeah, yeah, that's a funny story. But man, the new record, a different kind of hell. I want to touch on that a little bit before I let you go. But yeah. (laughs) um, I had the chance to listen to the record. I don't know if you know, I'm based here in Indianapolis too. Um, I know Sean from Wise Blood. I was actually just hanging out with him last week. At the, I had uh, a feeling 
you that might black circle. Indianapolis strong black circle rules. God damn it. I love that place. Yeah. You guys are playing your record release show there, right? Yeah. One of uh, record release weekend. We, we come down to play Indianapolis the 21st and then we head on up to play uh, the hometown show in Chicago. Yep. I'll be there, man. Can't wait to fuck. Yeah. See what you guys have. I haven't seen you guys before, but yeah, Sean, uh, I bought the cassette from him. Um, so he brought oh, it yeah. to me so awesome. I could listen Thank to you. it. So I could listen to it before the interview. It's right over there. I have number six. I wish it was six 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 of one hundred, but Ooh. math doesn't work that way. Um, no, but yeah, sadly. man. I love the record. <laughs> Just thank you. Fast, gritty, start to finish, and everything you'd want from a thrash record. The one thing I did notice that when the press material came out for the record, you said that obviously the record's themes. It was, it's kind of about one man's kind of descent into hell, right? Um, mm-hmm. You said that inspired a lot of the Sonic you know, the sonic atmosphere of the record. Was that different for you this time writing a record? Was this the first time you've ever been inspired to write based on a theme? Yeah, I think like the idea of the record came through just going back to our roots, like thinking about like all of the weird epic adventures you can get into in like a Dungeons and Dragons campaign or like, not gonna lie the name came from but bloodletter came from a like a legendary weapon you could get in diablo 2 or something i think it was like pretty much that's exactly how zach and i arrived at our band names conclusion and then you know being a total nerd that i am and reading a bunch of folklore and like reading about the supernatural and like the afterlife and stuff you know and coming out of the pandemic i started putting together lyric ideas based on you know old stories and you know the the hell that is within all of us is very different but when anybody talks about it with someone else the ideas are very similar everyone's imagination of hell is this fiery painful tormented place usually and i was like you know what everybody talks about hell from dante's inferno what if we focus on like a more visceral, like horrorful themed, you know, kind of concept. And then the lyrics started to come together. The music started coming together more and more and more. Um, so yeah, like this, this record's definitely a concept record just, you know, like to some degree and, you know, having that theme, visually i think as i was writing a lot of the music was really helpful because you know you listen to some of the guitar parts very fast some might call you know fiery blazing quick you know like you listen to the drums you know undulating quick pummeling like the earth shaking under your feet you know the maw of hell opening as you're running through some fiery landscape literally as you're listening to it um so yeah it definitely helped it was definitely like a a part of the recording and writing process yeah when you're writing a thrash record do you how do you know when to slow things down a little bit (laughs) (laughs) uh i i usually don't i don't know um you know it's kind of become a, a a joke to some degree within the band specifically where we're just like you know, like I'll introduce us at a show, like the settle started like, Hey, we're blood letter. Let's go fast. 
Because, like, we really don't know how to go slow properly. But, like, parts of songs, the tempo drops or, like, we go to cut time or halftime and stuff like that. And I think that's kind of just, like, I think it's become instinctive. You know, after 10 years, like, we've kind of figured out, like, where the song goes as we're writing it. Obviously, there's subject to change, but, like, you know, sometimes you just you play a riff and then the next thing maybe sounds cooler, you know, if you're not tremolo picking it or you're not playing it at the same tempo or like you change the cadence on the drums. Like it all comes down to like what came before it, where are we trying to go? What route do we want to take to get there? And, you know, it's kind of all like this ever flowing nebulous thing that can change as you go. So we don't ever really know when to slow it down but we can feel when it should. I think that's the way to say it. Yeah, it's all about feel, right? I think it's, I'm always interested to hear bands talk about how, like, I don't know, I guess it's just kind of like walking, right? You don't really think about it. It just kind of happens Mm -hmm. naturally. And that's kind of what I've learned from talking to, you know, various bands at this point is that it just, you just sense it. I don't think anybody has a scientific approach to (laughs) when to slow things down or how to, you know, put a vocal cadence here or speed up the vocal cadence there, mm-hmm. but just doing what feels right. And I guess that's what creates good songwriters is just the feel of everything. But yeah, man, it's a, uh, it's fast. It's very fast. It's very, very yeah. heavy. <laughs> and yeah, man, I, it's a great record. What do you remember? Thank you. Like most about, or what do you look back on most fondly about the entire process of putting this thing together? I think because like we we finished funeral hymns, we put it out. You know, we couldn't really play on it. You know, we finally started getting out there August of 2021 when the numbers for the pandemic started to come down. But by that point, I had already had like three songs written musically for another record, and then I started playing some like little riff ideas in front of the rest of the guys at band practice because usually sometimes if I have an idea but I'm not sure what to do with it I play it in front of Pat our other guitar player and he then goes how's that go and then he writes something fucking glorious with it um Pat is he never gives himself enough credit but he legitimately and not just because he's in our band is probably the most underrated underappreciated guitarist in like the underground kind of metal scene that I, that I've met and I played with some amazing people, but like, he's just so fucking gifted and he never just says, yeah, I think I'm good at what I do. No, he's just a modest ding dong. But anyways, I think the coolest part for this record coming together though, was like, you know, we sit in this very room in my home studio office. Like I got a V drum kit right here. I've got instruments behind me. You know, I've got microphones behind Conan the Barbarian is my vocal booth. You know, like we made this entire record here, you know, and like I could I could just call Pat and Zach or Tanner. It was like, who's available? Who wants to come by and listen to this idea that I have? And this record was like, I still pitch the majority of the ideas. I still come up with a lot of the music for the band, but like everybody has a significant influence on the finished product. And I think my favorite part was putting together ideas and seeing the reactions of my bandmates when they knew, okay, 
right here is where we make this part special or this song becomes more, you know? And when we got to the end of the record, you know, as far as like the recording writing process and everything, cause we don't write them all first and then record them. We kind of write and record as we go. Uh, which is like kind of one of my favorite things about modern technology. I love going to a studio. I love everybody playing together and recording shit at the same time. But like everybody gets so busy. Everybody's got jobs, lives, things like that. Let's record a song when we can. Let's let's finish parts when we can, you know, take advantage of modern technology. But there is still no substitute for when all four of us were in the room and we were listening to the record as it was pretty much done. And everybody just goes, yeah, we fucking did that. You know, like we got here and we knew we got to where we were because everybody contributed. So I think that's, that's my, that's my favorite part. Here's a fun question. How do you guys know when a riff sucks? How do you guys know when a riff sucks and to throw it out? Or when do you know, (laughs) when do you know you have something that's worthy of putting on a record? (laughs) Uh, Three things. If it's too hard to recreate live, if uh, you can't play it consistently enough or it doesn't transition well enough. And third, if you're not banging your head along to it yourself, it sucks. And if it's one of those three criteria, it's suspect. If it's all three, fuck it, get rid of it. <laughs> awesome, man. Okay, I do have this question. Who wrote the lyrics for the record? I did. Was it you? You did? Yep. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we touched on then this the... earlier, but you wanted to go in a more supernatural route this yep. record right mm-hmm. rather than personal was that yeah. easier or harder yes uh, <laughs> um yeah it depends like easier because you know you weren't confronting anything personal but harder because you you have to like paint the picture using different different descriptive language and like for me it's you know anybody can talk about personal shit but like making it relatable is the harder part whereas with this it's like this was not a personal record but you still put your personal touches on it and you're trying to tell a story but you have to make the picture vivid you have to paint it vividly enough so that way everybody can get it so i think that was harder Easier because it wasn't as big like an emotional toll. Harder because I'm trying to tell a story that I haven't told before. Thanks so much again for doing this, man. Can't wait to see you guys in Indy for the record release show. If you're in the Midwest, make it out to Black Circle. It's a phenomenal venue. What's uh? What else is on the calendar for Blood Letter this year? July 22nd in Chicago. Uh, before the record comes out, we may or may not be, and I'm trying to make as many winking faces as I can to Josh so he could see it, but we may or may not be announcing something exciting. Uh, so that's coming soon. Um, we're going to be playing shows throughout the rest of the year. Um, our management's working on a lot of cool and exciting stuff. Can't really talk about the thing that I alluded to first, but it's coming soon. I really want to talk about it, but I can't, I just can't drop that one yet. But is it a tour? Is it a tour? Maybe. I, I, I'm like, I'm, I've been sworn to secrecy. Uh, I've been sworn to secrecy, but um, we are 
super horny to announce the news. Like, man, we're just like chomping at the bit, you know, biting our lip. Can't fucking wait. Uh, but yeah, that'll be that'll be a nice big big fun surprise for everybody. I think we'll leave it on a cliffhanger. Thanks again, Pete. Yeah, thank you. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Pete from Bloodletter. Again, their new record, A Different Kind of Hell, is out July 21st. Phenomenal record, as I mentioned earlier. Super fast, super heavy. Go check it out. You can get the pre-orders right now, or you can buy it the day of. There's vinyl. The vinyl is absolutely beautiful. The tapes are limited and hand-numbered. CDs available, and if you're in the Midwest, make sure you check out their album release shows. Before we go, I know I alluded to my recommendation of the week earlier, but want to give my recommendation of the week just for, you know, just for consistency's sake, and that recommendation is none other than Black Braid's Black Braid 2. A phenomenal showing in melodic, atmospheric, black metal based out of here in the United States. Just like I said earlier, from start to finish, such a great record. You know, it's self-released, so that's even cooler that he's doing it on his own. And yeah, man, it's I got my vinyl copy in the mail the other day, and... It's just such an experience listening to this record. Again, the highlight for me is Twilight Hymn of Ancient Blood, but the way that he interlocks these, you know, Native American soundscapes into this melodic black metal style is... I'm absolutely floored every time I listen to this record. I have listened to it a few times at this point. I listen to it with headphones in digitally. I've listened to it on an analog base with vinyl and yeah it's absolutely incredible i know i gave my favorite song but there are just so many tracks that are so memorable on this record and yeah just everything from the opener to the spirit returns spells of moon and earth and the single Moss Covered Bones on the Altar of the Moon, and then how that transitions into A Song of Death on Winds of Dawn, and then Celestial Passage, and then finally, you know, when that transitions to, to Twilight Hymn of Ancient Blood, and, you know, the Bathory cover of A Fine Day to Die, he does that justice as well. Man, just an incredible album, Black Braid 2. Go listen to that if you haven't already. If you're listening to this podcast, I know I say this every week, but with my recommendation... I'm sure a lot of you have picked up on this by now that I'm sure you, or I think that you've all listened to it, but again, I, I can't not give this one as my recommendation of the week. And there's a few that have been like that where I'm like, uh, obviously it's pretty popular, but yeah, it would be, it would be a crime not to give that one out. As always, at the end of the show, I want to remind you to follow the socials that I gave you at the top of the episode and to follow and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And if you dig the show, press that review 
button and leave a five-star review and a comment if you so choose to. That helps me out and I will be eternally grateful. But until next time, my friends, we'll see you again right here in the catacombs.